0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse. Reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Hey, good morning, Real Life. So good to see you guys all this morning. If you're joining us online, I'm glad you guys are here with us today as well. My name is Adam McKeldry. I get the pleasure of serving on staff here as the associate pastor. And I am really excited to be with you here this morning. There's lots of reasons why. One of is I just tweaked my back this weekend, and so I may or may not be hopped up on painkillers and muscle relaxers, so we'll see how this goes. I may say something really dumb. All right, don't email Josh about it, okay? It's It was the narcotics. Okay, uh, so we are in week three of this new series that we are going through, building up to Easter, and it's called Restored. And what we're doing here is we're diving into the plan that God has to restore us and his creation back to the relationship that he has desired to have with us all along from the very beginning of his story. We started about talking about how covenants are super crucial to this plan. Covenants are interwoven and tied to the plan that God has, has put out there. And we are using this rope. As our visual picture of what this plan is that God is putting forth, that He is bringing us back from a broken state of relationship to a completed state and the perfect relationship back to that sense with Him, and we've talked we talked about how covenants along the way represent a handhold, a knot that God ties in here for us to be able to grab onto. And keep us going in the journey. Last week I I talked about how that journey, that story that God is telling, this story of restoration is something that is our story. It is something that we have been involved in with from the very beginning. And that when we choose to engage in this, we are choosing to engage in what God has designed us to do because his original intention was for us to be in relationship with him be in a place that is his to be in his presence he wants us he wants his people in his pre- place dwelling in his presence and today we're going to tie this first knot we're going to tie in this first handhold and we're going to talk about the noahic covenant But before we jump right to Noah, let's remember where we've been so far in the story, okay? So it starts off with Adam and Eve, right? And they choose to break their original covenant with God by eating from fruit from the tree that they are not supposed to be eating from. And so the results of that sin was that they are removed from the place that God had given them. And their relationship with God and with one another Changes from then on. The next story we come to in the text is a story about their kids, Cain and Abel. And we see Cain choosing to allow anger and jealousy that he has towards his brother and towards God to take root in his heart and he ends up murdering his brother. And then a lot of time passes by and we get to where I want to start our story today, which is in Genesis chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn over there with me, or you can catch it up here on the, on the screen. I pick up in verse number 5 of chapter 6. The Lord God saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. I want to stop there for just a little bit because when I have read this text in the past when I have heard this text read in the past the part that has always stood out to me most is where it says God regrets having made mankind and it doesn't surprise me that as I look back that that was the thing that stood out to me most because my understanding of God my understanding of the relationship that he wanted with me was skewed I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Catholic Church and then the Assembly of God Church and then the Southern Baptist Church. I went to a private Christian school, so I've been around this stuff for quite a while. And I can't point to a specific instance where I heard this, but it was always something that kind of was right under the surface that God is an angry God, full of wrath. Especially the God that we see in the Old Testament. Especially that God. And he is just waiting up there, waiting for you to mess up so that he can bop you over the head. I mean, he doesn't want to, but because he is a perfect holy God, he has to. Because I am worthless. Until Jesus comes on the scene. I once had a pastor not many years ago who would regularly say from the stage in in one-on-one conversations that the most loving thing that you could do for a person is to tell them that they're going to hell. I cringe even saying that now today still. But back then, I, I didn't like it, but I kind of agreed with it. Because of the picture I had of who God was and the relationship that that we had with him was broken. I thought that out of anger, God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. I thought that it was out of anger and regret that God flooded the entire world to destroy all of life. I thought it was out of anger and disappointment that later on in the text, we see him allow the Israelites to be wiped out by their enemies and carried off into exile. But now, now I wonder if anger and wrath are not God's primary motivators. What if he's really different than all the other gods that humanity has chosen to submit themselves to in their minds over the course of time? What if when God sees us, he sees his image bearers? What if he sees the culmination of his very good creation? Not worthless piles of sin that just keep messing up. What if, what if the point of Genesis 3 is not Adam and Eve sinning and choosing to rebel against God, but rather that God chose to have mercy in that moment? What if it's more about the love that God shows towards his creation in their darkest moment, that he was choosing to to still pursue relationship with them? So those are the questions that go through my mind now, and And so now when I go back to to Genesis six and I read that that section of scripture, the thing that jumps out most to me is what's at the end of verse six. If you go back to it, Genesis six, six, and his heart was deeply troubled. It broke the heart of our Creator. When he looked down and saw the state of what his creation was doing, what they had done to themselves, their continued pursuit that had been started by the rebellion of their parents in the garden to build their own thing had gotten to the point where the only inclination in everyone's heart was evil. All the time some of us know what that deep love that God has for us is like. Some of us have spouses and parents and kids and friends that you're like, when I see that person, I have such a deep love for them. And you also know what the heartache is like that God is is happening here. Because you've, you've had those loved ones that Regardless of what you do for them, regardless of the opportunities that they are given to, to come out of the sin that they're in, they continue to choose to do things that are destructive for themselves and to those around us. You have experienced the heartache that God has. And I think that's the state of God's heart as he looks down on his people in Genesis 6. That he looks down and he doesn't see, he doesn't look down in disappointment, he doesn't look down in anger. I think that maybe he looks down and he is just deeply saddened. And maybe this decision that he came to to destroy all life on, human, on earth was not something that he came to lightly. Rather, and, and it wasn't something that he did out of vengeance, but instead that something that he did out of grief. And so once again, God has to bring order into chaos, a recreation of sorts. And he decides to use a worldwide flood as an act to rescue humanity from itself. But just like he did with Adam and Eve at the Garden of Eden, he gives us an out. He gives us an act of mercy once again because he has a plan to restore. So he has a plan to restore us back to relationship with him. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, we're going to see what this plan is going to continue through. Genesis 6 verse 8 it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So who is this guy, Noah? Who is this guy that God would look down and choose him and find favor with him? Who is this guy that was righteous, Amongst the people that lived with him, that says, walked with God. Why did God choose him? I think the text gives us a few clues as to why God looked down and chose Noah to continue this plan of restoration. And if we go back to Genesis, in Genesis to chapter 4, verse 26 says, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So Seth is one of Adam's sons, right? And the super fascinating part for me in this is that last statement. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It's almost as if the text is drawing this Nice, big, long, deep line to indicate that there is a big difference between Seth and the descendants that he has and the choices that they make with their life and Cain that the text had talked about just verses before and the descendants that he had and the choices that they made in their life. There was a difference. Seth's descendants were people that began to call on the name of the Lord. And if you continue to read through chapter five, you'll see that. You'll see a guy by the name of Enoch, who is Noah's great-grandfather. And Enoch is described as a man who walks with God. In fact, he's a guy who walks with God so closely that the text just says God took him with him, just he was no more. This is the line that Noah comes for, from. Righteousness and walking with God is something that's in his blood. I know not all of Seth's descendants do that, obviously, because we just read in chapter six how all of humanity was, had this evil inclination in their heart, but there is this one line of Seth's descendants that, that do continue to choose to walk with God, do continue to worship him. And it leads us to Noah. The other clue I think that is in the text there is in chapter, at the end of chapter five. Verse 28 says, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands, caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. So Lamech names his son Noah, and the name Noah means rest, which goes along really well with the blessing that Lamech had just spoken over his child, that he's going to be a comfort, a rest for his people as they work the land. A name is a really big deal in the ancient Eastern culture, and probably still today actually. Whatever you named your child, you were, you were speaking a truth about who they were gonna be as a person. You were speaking into existence what their future held for them. Some of us have that same approach or had that same approach when we when we named our children and were really intentional about the name we gave them. Some of us maybe just named our kids off of a name they saw. On an old movie poster in a barbecue joint in El Paso. <laughs> I apologize to my daughter. <laughs> but my parents, my parents were really intentional when they named me, when they named me Adam, which means earth and dirt. And I've been told that that was not the reason why, but my brothers would refute that. (laughs) You see, when, when I came along on the scene, my parents were going through a period of time when they didn't know if they wanted to continue to be married. They didn't know what life held for them. They were in some of the darkest times in their lives. And they needed a new beginning. They needed to drive a stake in the ground and say we want to start anew. And I was born and so they named me Adam to represent and to remind them of that new beginning. You know whether or not Noah does in fact find a way to live out the blessing that his father gave to him and he he brought something about that helped his people find rest or comfort in working the land. We don't know because the text doesn't tell us. But there is something really cool, I think, that God does with Noah in his name and his blessing. If we had the time this morning for me to be able to dive in and show you guys all of these different parallels between the creation story and the flood story. I would love to be able to do that, but we just, we don't have all the time for me to point out all the, the things, which is why I gave you a, a link in your notes to a teaching a guy by the name of Rabbi uh, David Foreman does, and he does an excellent job of drawing all the links between that. But what God is doing in this flood story Is a recreation. It's a recreation. It's a recreation in a fallen world, but it is a recreation nonetheless. And the one thing that I want to mention this morning that is super cool about this is when we think back to Genesis 1 and the creation story, when God was done, what did he do? He rested. And it was through his rest that creation is spun off into an existence. And so we have the flood happen, and God recreates again, and it begins through rest again through a man named Noah, whose name means rest. It is a shadow, merely a shadow of the rest that God started us off originally, but there it is. Once again, God is inviting us to rest into his creation. I think that was super cool. So who is Noah? Noah is a guy who has great lineage he had people that were walking with God before him that showed him how to do it when he was a kid Noah was a guy whose name meant rest so when God looks down and sees the world in chaos and sees Noah in the midst of that chaos he sees a guy who is willing to listen to his voice. He sees a guy who is willing to partner with God in keeping this story of restoration going. And that's all he needed. So now I think we can finally get to the Noahic covenant. And we're going to jump over to Genesis chapter nine. The first seven verses in Genesis chapter nine, I'm going to skip. They do cover aspects of the Noahic covenant, some specific instructions that God gives Noah as they are leaving the ark. But I want to hone in on three specific things about this covenant as we close the day today. So I'm gonna pick up reading in verse eight. It says, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you And with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. So the first thing I want to point out about this covenant is that it is unconditional and everlasting unconditional and everlasting. God says that this covenant will go with you and your descendants from now until all to the end of time. He himself calls it an everlasting covenant. And there are no conditions on this one. The only thing that this covenant is dependent on is the goodness of God. The second thing is this that I want to point out is that it is for all of creation. Mankind is not the only thing that was affected by the flood. All the rest of the creatures on the earth, the earth itself was destroyed in the flood. So when God establishes this covenant, he establishes it with the earth. He establishes it with all of the creatures that come off of the ark with Noah. He establishes it with Noah and all of his descendants from then on. This promise is for everyone, all of creation, for all time. And the third thing I want to point out is that this covenant comes with a sign. The sign is a rainbow. And it's interesting to me that in the text, God says that he is going to use this rainbow to remind him of the covenant that he has established with mankind. And it's interesting because, I'm like, is God forgetting is he forgetting that he is not going to destroy all of humanity again? And so he needs a, a reminder? Is he so forgetful? I think that what actually is going on is that God is saying, I, I'm going to remember because I know you will forget. I know that you will grow complacent. And forget why I've put my bow in the sky in the first place. Which makes sense to me. If I think about it like that. Because there are a lot of things that I've had in my life that I've put in there as signs of, of rem- and reminders of what God has done in my life. This tattoo on my arm says, Forgiven. I got this just over six years ago, right before we moved to Moscow. And because I've had it so long, sometimes I don't even see it. Like, I'm just used to it being there. Actually, that's, that's not accurate. I, I see it all the time, but sometimes I don't remember why I put it there in the first place. Because you see, I got to a place in my life where I was angry with God. I had just been hurt by yet another group of people in his church, by his church. And I was mad, I was angry. I was depressed. It was the darkest, darkest time of my life. And there were days where I wondered if it would just be better to end it. But I knew I couldn't. My family had just lost somebody by suicide not long before that I just, I knew I could not do that to them again. So what I do instead? Instead, I dived headlong into rebellion against God. I abandoned my faith. I abandoned the truth that I knew for so many years. And then, when I hit rock bottom and there was nowhere else to go, I looked up and I saw God still there. I saw my family still there. I saw my best friends, Josh and Carrie, still there. And they offered me forgiveness, not condemnation. They offered me love, not shame. And so I put this on my arm to remind me of who I am, of who God sees I am. To remind me in the good times and the bad, when Satan is trying to get me to get into my head and dive back into that shame and guilt and identify myself as the mistakes that I've made in the past, I can look at this and remember that's not who I am. And it also is a reminder in the good times when God is so gracious and has blessed me so much more than I feel like I deserve some days. I can remember why. In those moments, after a rainstorm, and we look up in the sky and we see the rainbow, and our initial thought is like, oh, wow, that's really pretty. God remembers for us why it's there. God remembers that everlasting, unconditional covenant and promise that he made with us that day. With all of creation. Which is what is so cool about the Noahic covenant because it fits so perfectly into God's plan of restoration. Through one man who was willing to step up and listen to God's voice and partner with him, the way of restoration continued on. And God established a covenant for everything, all of creation for all time. Which kind of sounds like another covenant that we're gonna be getting to here in a few weeks, doesn't it? Speaking of that covenant... Let's move to our time of communion. If you're new with us here today, we have what we call an open table. And all that means is you don't have to be a regular attender or a member of Real Life on the Palouse. We just ask that you have made that decision to answer the call of Jesus in your life. That you... Are choosing to follow him, that you're choosing to be transformed by him and be on mission with him, to be his disciple. If you've made that decision, we would love for you to celebrate communion with us. And one of the questions our life groups are going to talk about this week is, what are some ways that you remind yourselves of the promises of God? And I'm really excited to hear what my, my life group members have to share about that. One of the signs God gives us of his promises that we all get to share in each and every week is this. It is a sign to remember the promise that he loves us unconditionally. And so the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. In the same way after supper he took the cup said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Father we I I thank you Lord for the good good father that you are. The father that remembers when we forget. The father that wants the best for his creation. The Father does not pull back but engages with his people. Lord God, I pray for for all of us today that as we leave here, that we will not forget the promises that you have made in our lives. Lord help us to remember in the good times and the and the bad all the amazing things that you have done for us and all the amazing things that you have in store for us in the future. Lord, remind us that we are your partners. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, Have a great week.